Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Boomer, Boomer and, and Doomer. In true Boomer I fashion. I we would try to do that in unison. Oh, I did, was not expecting that. But this is indeed Boomer and Doomer, or Doomer and Boomer, or Conversations Across Generations, subtitle. Now we're really professional. Yeah, the, the, this just elevated the show just one step up. Maybe a half step. I'm not sure yet. I'm I'm gonna say we're basically pro leagues now. I'm hey, just... this is awesome. Absolutely. All right. So that aside, Boomer, how has yes, your sir. week been? Say what? How has your week been? Oh, it's kind of crazy. It's um, I don't know. I'm getting really tired of this whole uh, COVID thing. I mean, me too, but I wouldn't really change my, my lifestyle that much. I just would like to not have to wear a mask in the summertime. I already do in the winter because it's cold as hell here. That's true. But, you know, hey, that all that, that said and everything set aside, you know, we're both still on the right side of the grass. I guess it all depends on your attitude and where you're at. This is true. And we still have grass that's not snow yet. I know. It's a beautiful week this week. So that means this weekend I get to do all sorts of fun chores like oil changes and uh, and uh, mowing the grass. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Hey, we already talked about this. Mowing the grass is great. And an oil change, same thing. Sense of pride and accomplishment. Then you Cathartic. Go Indeed. And then, you know, if you have a neighbor you don't like, you just dump that used mortar oil on their front yard when they're not looking exactly i have never done that and neither legal, have i and for legal purposes that is a joke <laughs> uh, kind of like leaving dog poop in a bag on somebody's porch and setting it on fire i've never done that either you know i legitimately have never done that and um I, although I did, I did enjoy it every time I watched Adam Sandler movies. Uh, I forget. That's true. He does, you know, he seems to do it better than anybody. So you know, you can't one up Adam Sandler. This is true. In terms of like man child, he is, you know, he has peaked. No, no, no other man can uh, hit his level of man child, especially with uh, what was that was a. Uh, was that that was um, Billy Madison was the big the yeah one. yeah oh my gosh I actually want to watch that tonight now anyway we're already off topic this is going to be a great show so I, I love this <laughs> so let's talk about our wins for the week you have one I thought I did and then I immediately did not write it down so it's lost to history. Oh, come on. you got to have a win for the week. There's, there has to be something good that happened to you in the uh, last seven days. Something good that's happened to me in the last seven days. Well, let's see. Last week we talk, or last time we talked about uh, I, I just recently passed my exam. This week I found out that uh, my company graciously should be paying for the rest of them. Oh, that is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, anytime I don't have to... Uh, don't have to spend money to provide value to my company. That's I feel that's great. 
<laughs> Congratulations. That's really a big deal. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and, and like I said, as someone who got his degree part-time, it was, uh, it's a tough road to hoe when you're working full-time and uh, studying at night and, and even doing these uh, podcasts and everything else that we do for, you know, during, during, for whoever, who, for whomever we're, we're with, you know? Absolutely. It, it is tough, but you know, I think, like I said, when we started this, this whole thing was, uh, the goal is to, to have a conversation and most importantly, create something that even if, you know, two people in the entire world find it interesting, that's two people who got a piece of content they wouldn't have otherwise needed or had. That's very true. Well, my win for the week, it's going to sound really silly, but I think I've told you during our, uh, what are we doing for COVID episode that one of the, my day kind of goes, I get up in the morning, I might work out, but then I definitely go to work all day. After work, I work out again. And then what I do is I play guitar. Well, I was playing, and like you said, around here, the weather's been great. I was playing guitar on my front porch and with everything that's going on, there's a lot of people that are walking in the neighborhood. And there was a couple with a little kid in a stroller. Mom was holding the kid. And they were they stopped actually and listened to me playing guitar. It kind of touched my heart. I kept on playing. I don't even remember the song I was playing. But she started dancing in my driveway while holding her kid. I thought, this is kind of sweet. This is one of those things I wish I had to, I have, happened to have a video of. Unfortunately, I didn't. But it was kind of sweet. The, the, the folks stopped by, listened to me play a, a song or two, danced in my driveway, and we parted ways. It's just a sense of kindness and, and a sense of, uh, uh, like I said, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a win. I thought that was awesome. I mean, that that. That's kind of touching and heartfelt. I, it's, I did not expect that from you. Uh, and, and the other thing is, you know, Dilmer, it means I didn't suck that bad. They actually knew the song and they were singing along. Oh. You don't even remember the song, though. So. <laughs> I, 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 can, I, I have a lot of different songs that I'll play. But that's that's awesome. Uh, I mean, so made you feel good just to just to you know bring a little bit of extra levity into someone else's life. It made me smile to see someone else smile. How about that? Well, there you go. So you better. Or the words of Gus from uh, my big fat Greek wedding, and you'll go. Oh man, that is that Sorry, is. Sorry, couldn't pass that one up. Oh, it's a film for the ages. That that needs to go into uh, what was it, the congressional building, but yeah. So like, you were playing guitar and and people just came by and started dancing in the street. And I mean, it it almost feels like um, what do you call it? Like uh, those um, the musicals. Like you know, the guys playing yeah. guitar, and all of a sudden people start dancing. It's like. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if it was quite worthy of La La Land, but you know, hey, you know, it was uh, 
it, it was really nice. And and like I said, if I put a smile on, if that put a smile on somebody's face and somebody gave me a thumbs up for playing my guitar, then you know, I had a good day. They had a good day. Um, they're probably thinking, hey, you know, I don't even know who that dude is that was playing guitar, but I think we'll walk by his house again. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, you'd fit really well in the uh, in the in Europe at the little like uh, platillas in uh, in Greece. They always have someone playing playing guitar or doing something like that. Or I could start on the bar circuit again. I mean, I I guess yeah, you could do that too. I would just, just whatever you want, man. That was a long <laughs> time ago and far away in a different life. That's <laughs> gonna be like. Well, the bar scene. Oh man, you're gonna be a lounge lizard. You're gonna get like those those fancy like velour suits or whatever. And... Oh no 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 never. No, but I might have to get the ponytail back. Oh gosh. So would that mean I have to like call you? Uh, would that would you'd be Cheech? <laughs> hey man, it's the cops, man. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I had, I remember watching that movie and just being so confused because I did not know what weed was. <laughs> I don't even want to go down that road. That can go every way with but that can go every way with Ron. It's it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll leave it to the the, the mystery of time. Um. Oh right. I remembered something else I wanted to say this week. So we are in the uh, the month of October, and um, reincarnated, uh, you know, step warlord and and uh, barbarian king Joe Rogan. Yeah, he has decided to go sober this October. And I thought Joe Rogan, the guy who got Elon Musk to smoke pot on his show. Yes. So, so okay, this is weird. I know. So what, like, what's what now? Now something's really wrong with the world, and we thought COVID was bad. Well, and I think that's what what it was is just because of all of the things that are currently going on. You know, politically, economically, COVIDly. Um. Is that really a word, COVIDly? I I don't know. It's it, dude. The English language is I can do whatever I want to it. Uh, <laughs> but, well, I mean, you know, in in in, uh, in the eighties we had hammer time. Now we're gonna have, now we have COVID time. Where do we go from here? You know, it's hopefully back to um, normal time. Yeah, that would be kind of nice. Yeah, I, I mean, being able to go outside and not fear for my life would be, like, super great. But it's, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Uh, <laughs> let's see. But, right, yes, Joe Rogan, you know, Barbarian King, has decided that uh, he's going to be sober for October. Uh, and, you know, after seeing my going over my credit card statements and realizing how much money I've spent on liquor in the last... Uh, the last six months, 
I am uh, I'm realizing that COVID could uh, very easily turn anyone into a closet alcoholic. So I'm tr- uh, I have decided to uh, take it easy. And don't worry, I still have a cocktail recipe, but there's no liquor in it. Ah. So we will, when we get to our uh, bartender event, we will uh, we'll talk about it then. But I just thought that was interesting because uh, I talked to a couple other of my friends and they were they were very concerned about um, their consumption as well. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're stuck at home. You're not not a whole lot to do. You can't really go out and socialize. So, like, what do you do to pass the time? Well, if you get drunk, at least it passes the time. To to a certain degree. To a certain degree. But I, that's sometimes it's all people got. And and if you you know don't have any projects you want, or you, let's say you don't have a lot of space to work on an activity or build something, that's what happens. Well, see now now now. The one thing that I have to comment on that is you always have the counter to that, which is the workout. One of the, thing, the, one of the things I've always looked at on the, for lack of a better term, I don't want to use the word alcoholic front, but the, the, the front that holds alcohol is alcohol always has a lot of calories. So I work out so that I can eat dessert and drink a beer or a glass of wine or have a drink. I don't know if that's good or not, but that's what I do. Hey, it's as good a reason as any. And, and you know, the, the electric guitar amp has to have some beer stains on it. Oh, Otherwise, yes. it's not worn in. If it doesn't smell like year-old stout, is it really a new or a, a used amp? That's true. Oh, gosh. I'm just picturing, like, year old Guinness dried and slowly heating up. Oh man, that'd be a interesting smell. And uh, no, I clean my gear better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Stop taking, if you're going to be working the bar circuit, you shouldn't be taking care of your stuff. You just use it to buy new stuff all the time. Right. That's how that works. <laughs> In my dreams. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish the bar circuit played, but paid better than that, you know? Yeah. I think the bar circuit still pays on the uh, 1970 scale. Oh, geez. Have you considered maybe, you know, getting a permit and playing on the, 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 the train on, on, uh, in Chicago? That, you know, I, I could probably do, do better than that, uh, do better at that in some cases than uh, some places I've been. But I guess that tells you that I'm not that, I, I guess that tells you I'm not that good. You just I try hard. You just don't have a band, man. True. You gotta always have... looking for the way to create the solo adventure, you know. Well, you just just be really depressing, like Sam Smith or Ed Sheeran. I I feel like that just really wins over the single circuit. Hey, man! I just picked up a couple of Ed Sheeran songs in my set. Come on. That's... Don't don't go knocking Ed Sheeran. I I will knock that ginger. <laughs> And his soulless adventures and in, in sadness. Hey, I'm the old guy, and I'm still playing some of his stuff. He's pop now. It's not cool to like him anymore, right? That's how that works. Oh, is that? I, I'm not sure. That's just like why young people left Facebook. All of a sudden, their parents were on it. 
<laughs> that's true, you know. That that that's actually very true. Yeah, we left Facebook for Instagram. It's like so you never really left Facebook, but all right. Good for you, kid. Oh man. They anyway. think they left Facebook. Exactly. Little Any anywhere. So next up is the earworm. What are you thinking about? So, uh, one of my good friends, uh, we are we are practicing the millennial slash Gen Z Zoomer Doomer uh, sharing economy, and uh, he has me on his family plan for Amazon Music HD. Ah. And so I've been listening to some of my old favorites, but uh, recently, you know, like I said, I've been I've been listening to jazz, and um, you know, we were talking about the the seatbelts last time, but uh, this time I was listening to uh, the Dave Brubeck Quartet, and you know, Take Five, because that's is probably their most popular song, or at least according to Amazon, it's their more po most popular song by Head and Shoulders Above the Rest. I would agree with that. And but you can't forget Blue Rondo a la Terra. I I I can't because I haven't heard of it until now. Oh, seriously? <laughs> Blue Rondo a la Turk is on the same album that uh Take Five is on. Yeah, but when you listen to Jazz Mix, you don't really listen to the whole album all the way through. I'm still oh, see now now you're killing me here, Smalls. <laughs> you're killing me. Hey, be glad I'm listening to this stuff at all. <laughs> <laughs> Exposing you to a whole new genre of music and, and, and a whole new sense of being eclectic in your understanding of tunes. And I don't mean cartoons. That's ha ha ha. But, uh, but. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been listening to Take Five, and I'm on, I have the playlist open on my other screen for the the whole album uh, Time Out. And Blue Ronda a la Turk is the second most popular song on the album. Again, head and shoulders above literally everything else. Uh, but what I noticed is uh, it sounds really freaking good. I mean, I have a, a pretty... I won't say expensive setup, um, but let's just say it's not EarPod Pros. Um, I still have a wire, and I have to hook it up into an amplifier. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm kicking it. Old I'm school. impressed. And then I have a, a pair of bookshelf speakers from Klipsch, and by bookshelves I mean they are the RP six hundred M's, so they are. Um, you need a big bookshelf to fit these on here. That's what I'm going to say. But they sound amazing. Well, if that you... impresses me that you're not just listening it through standard old MP3. Because MP3, I find, doesn't create the fullness of sound that you can get out of some of the other forms of uh, listening pleasure that you're, uh, that you're describing. It's true. I mean, if you have a, a relatively, I and mean, this is more a problem with how MP3s were first introduced, was bitrate. Right. And a lot of the first gen MP3s are 128 megabits or something like that. 
it was all about compression and getting it onto the smallest uh, form factor for downloadability. Exactly. And then once you kicked it up to like 320 kilobit, uh, I'm sorry, they're not megabit, 128 kilobit. And then 192 became the norm once, you know, broadband happened. And then right now, like the, the peak MP3 bit rate is like 320. And I genuinely have a hard time telling the difference between a WAV file and a 320 uh, kilobit MP3. And they are much smaller still than a wave file. Not as much as, you know, the little 128 kilobits that was like, we could fit an entire album in 40 megabytes. It's like, well, that's freaking cool. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Storage Especially is cheap. The quality goes down to crap where all you do is get bass and treble and you have, you're missing all of the good stuff that's in the mid range. Absolutely. We're really getting way off topic talking about the uh, audiophile concepts. Well, we can always revisit this, but now everyone knows that we're a bunch of audiophile snobs. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, I've been listening to, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, Dave Brubeck, a little bit of, um, oh, dear, what was his name? I just saw him. It's on my list. A little bit of Thelonious Monk. Oh, Yes. That, yeah. I mean, that's classic. That's some of my favorite kind of jazz right there. Thelonious Monk, Miles Davis. Um, we can keep going if you want, you know. Stan Getz. Well, and the whole goal is eventually I'm going to probably pick these up on CD because, well, one, they're cheap, and two, CD quality. Not, not always... Not always the best anymore. In fact, if you do buy HD streaming services, they can beat and actually even exceed DVD audio quality. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, I don't have a bajillion dollars like Amazon, so I can't go back and remaster a, 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 a recording built or made in 1959. So, well, see, that's the other problem with a lot of that kind of music is a lot of it was never remastered. A lot of it was never revisited and a lot of that stuff has been destroyed over the years. So you only have the recorded, uh, the, the mass produced recordings that you can find some of it. And the other, I mean, I, I kind of harped on you a little bit about uh, uh, only listening to the mix and only one song of Dave Brubeck followed by a Thelonious Monk song, followed by Miles Davis, followed by whatever. The point is, if you listen to some of those albums, they're trying to tell a story. So when that, that's why I kind of, it's like if you listen to a whole album, whether it's some of the old rock and roll or whether it's um, even some of the new stuff, like I, I don't know if you're familiar with Mariana's Trench. Uh, they're a fairly new band out of Canada, but they have, they, they tell a story on their album. Yes, they have really good singles. Not going to deny that. However, if you only listen to the single, you never get the full story or the full breadth of what their of what their music has to offer. Now I'm going down a whole audio file thing that maybe we shouldn't go down. Well, like I said, we should definitely revisit this next week. I'm going to add that, or if not next week, soon. The show notes. 
So while I'm adding that to the show notes, why don't you tell us about your... Uh, earworm? Earworm. Thank you. I have been listening to a podcast um, run by a gentleman named Shane Parrish. It's called The Knowledge Project. He basically tries to get people that are smart and experienced so that you don't have to read about it and learn. You'll just be able to pick up what these other people say. And I thought what I had this one that was just recently delivered and I'm not sure what the date was because I'm kind of behind on all these and I'm kind of listening to a lot of these in retrospect, but he had John C. Maxwell, if you know who he is. He's written a lot of books on like the 21 principles of leadership and you know, how to, how to create the leaders of the world, how to create leaders in, in business. Um, yeah, he's and, and he stayed, and he has stayed very, very current and relevant. And uh, I, I think he's a, a pretty interesting guy. And one of the concepts that came up in that, I'd actually kind of like to keep on exploring with you, is the concept of what is the shelf life of a bachelor's degree? A lot of people have made careers out of a single bachelor's degree. But is that really the case today? And we can talk about that because that got me thinking as to what was the shelf life of my bachelor's degree? How much did I use it before I moved on to, as I would call it, another career? Even though it's within the same field, how did I change? And uh, I, I thought that was an interesting topic to uh, kind of uh, – think through, especially with you as a doomer. Um, I don't know how many years you've been out of college now, but do you think that degree has a shelf life? Do you think that it's only worth a certain period of time? I think yes and, and no. That's uh, Or as my, my psychology professors used to say, the best answer is always, it depends. Um, on one hand, I definitely can see certain, certain degrees being extremely dated very quickly, especially in, in fast-moving fields. Uh, one of my favorite ones to, to, are, uh, that I am regaled with time and time again is anyone who went into a, to get a computer science degree. I'll agree with that because uh, that's kind of where I came out of. I came out of um, school with a electrical engineering and computer science. And I would say that that's probably one of the most short-lived degrees you're going to ever run into. Well, the, the most amusing thing I, I had was the exact quote from someone who I know was going down that path was, the books that I had were out of date the second they were in print. Ooh, interesting concept. It was amusing because one of the things was she uh, she was learning about uh, some of the like there's certain concepts that are that are that should be taught, but I I genuinely think anytime you're teaching teaching uh, computer science, it needs it doesn't need to be general, but there needs to be uh, strong 
concepts and and maybe skills taught because teaching to a a software is asking for trouble it's it it'd be like you and i creating an educational document on how to use windows uh seven yeah i could see that and and you know by the time you know we get done with it look at this windows 7 so great blah 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 windows is like windows 8.1 also windows 10 also windows 10 fall, fall edition and this that and the other and and you know we our book's been out a year so that's for education i think there's going to be things that you learn that are going to be uh evergreen and there's certainly going to be things that you learn that are um well, for lack of a better word, absolutely useless. And that's what makes good educators different from mediocre educators, different from bad ed educators. Is the ed When you're educated at a college, and this is, I think, what has caused a great cheapening of a bachelor's degree and even an associate's, is you're taught what to think what to repeat back to someone to make them think like or make you or make you look like you think like them and you are therefore correct there's no more of this socratic teaching there's no more of the uh small class sized focused on on not even necessarily big problems but understanding the problem not just understanding how to get a solution because that's just either trivia or something that has been established and you don't need to, you don't need it anymore. It's kind of like knowing trivia doesn't help when you have literally almost the entire repository of knowledge or of human knowledge in your pocket. But at the same, but, but at the same time, it's not just about knowing what to spew back. It's, I mean, this is where, you could look up the answer on Google, but if you don't have Google, can you still solve the problem? Well, that's you exactly You have it. the steps in order to be able to solve any problem. And the most interesting problems to solve are the problems that we haven't even thought of yet, that we're going to solve tomorrow. Has anyone else solved those, or are you creating a new method? Do you have the logic to be able to go from a start to a finish of a problem in a stepwise manner and make continuous improvements on it so until so you get the answer that's applicable. I mean, I'm going to go right back to some of the, I mean, You're kind I've of talking had a lot past of mathematics in my background. But okay. If you look at some of the mathematics, is there, there is always more than one way to solve almost any problem that's out there. I mean, if you go to calculus, there's, and, and you're looking at solving a, 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 a strange volume problem, you can do it by disk, something called the disk method. You can use it, you can use something called the shell method, and there are other variants along the way. And that's only using integral calculus. We haven't even gone on the differential. Right, but you see how that's fundamentally different from the average. When was when did you know Christopher Columbus cross the ocean? 
We don't we don't get asked questions anymore like why did Christopher Columbus cross the ocean or why did did uh did France allow the Louisiana purchase or any of that it's when did it happen why not why but when and when is trivia why is an un, is really starting to have the understanding and by understanding the why you'll already know the when because you'll figure out oh the louisiana purchase happened because france was currently at war at the time with you know uh, with Spain and England, so they needed they needed a cash infusion. They didn't want to deal with the fact that uh, uh, of this this remote territory that they had no governance over. So they were like, "Oh, the United States is like, hey, we'll take it off your hands." They were like, "Okay, fine, cool, dude. You're, if you're dumb enough to buy it from us, so they sell it to them. They get a cash infusion. They go on and are able to continue fighting their war. And now they don't have any of the the tax drain of trying to maintain a territory that." is so far away from home it's logistically straining them so that, now that we know the why on that one what's the problem that was really looking to be solved just understanding it or is it because we in order to be able to move on to the future and solve a new problem we have to un, we have to better understand everything around us Well, yes, <laughs> which I think is the way we really want to be. I mean, those who uh, to to uh, to paraphrase George Patton from World War General George Patton, if you don't if you don't understand the history of any situation, you are damned to repeat that situation over and over and over. And that's how he was able to create a win when it came to. Um, World War II. He was always reading the history so that he knew what the next steps were, and he wasn't going to repeat history. And it's, he was going to use history to his advantage. It's interesting that you mentioned that, though, because after after we uh, defeated the Nazis, uh, he was pushing to completely go to war with the uh, with the Soviet Union and wipe them out too. Well, he saw the Soviet threat in a different way, and uh, unfortunately, he did not convince Congress to be able to stand by his side on that because we were, all, and, and to the Louisiana Purchase's point, we were running out of money to fight battles. I and honestly, it is an unfortunate situation because if that were the case, we could have avoided the entire Cold War. This is true. But then we wouldn't have had the space race. Or would we? If there was no other superpower except the United States, would we, would we ever have to fight for supremacy? Or would we get fat, sit on our laurels, and um, you know, slowly backslide and develop more isolationist tendencies um, make bad trade deals, uh, believe that free trade is not, is also fair trade and, um, you know, eventually cause a, a certain, uh, multiple economic collapses. That's actually an interesting 
an interesting mind game that, that I think is uh, played out with a better historian than I think either of us. And I'd love to have an interview with, uh, with someone that can talk to that somewhere in the future as, as a different topic. Oh, I, w I would love to have an actual professional on here. I was actually more making a reference to our current situation where we have a rising China and India and we are becoming non-competitive because of our isolationist tendencies and our anti-intellectual behavior. When ignorance and emotion is weighed higher than, than logic, reason, and, and data, you end up with... Um, well, you, you end up with, with Plato's favorite version of uh, democracy, which is the worst kind and the one he warned us of. Is it called Google? No, Google, Google. <laughs> don't even get me we started rely on, Google. on it. Come on. Don't, get me, don't even get me started on Google. Uh, like, Wikipedia, I think, has added more to human history than Google. Um, well, the, but, but the point is, is, is it's not that... Google is bad. I'm, I'm not trying to say that at all. But I think the reliance on Google is what's the problem, is the fact that we no longer have to think. We could just say, Google, give me the answer. But if there's no Google or no way that, that we can go look up the answer for ourselves, and we don't know how to solve it, we're screwed. And that's something that we have to think about going forward. We have to be able to still solve our own problems. We have to understand how to do that. Even if we don't need it every day, and we have automation and AI to assist us, it's a matter of still having the principles and being able to solve the problems going forward. Because it's not the people that are going to survive in the future that can't solve those problems, it's the people that can, that have taken the time to learn, to practice, to fail. And you know what? We all learn more from our failures than we do from our successes to be able to make that happen. And boy, are we off topic. Yeah. I mean, we went down the Google Google rabbit hole. I, but we did. Yeah, I mean, we can beat them up all, all we want. It's not like it matters. It's, it's the fact of the algorithm that they have admitted they have no control over, which amuses me greatly. Uh, <laughs> we have created it. We no longer understand how it works. Um, our bad, I guess. But uh, let's, let's circle back to, to this degree thing, because I, I genuinely think that... Um, that higher education in general is in such a need of like a, a beat down, a shake up. Um, like we were talking about in the pre-show, my biggest beef with a lot of these colleges now is they're all competing. And instead of, instead of these state schools offering, you know, a decent education at an affordable price, they're offering a mediocre education at a, let's say not not necessarily affordable price and private schools are even worse and this all comes back to this idea of schools probably 20 30 years ago saw the need to pivot because they were they started to run themselves like businesses because academia for some reason you know education is a service but now education is run like a business
And because it's run like a business, we have some very perverse incentives in place. We get short-term thinking instead of long-term thinking. We get uh, sp emphasis on sports teams and facilities instead of highly paid and well-qualified educators. We, we are getting massive just amounts of adjunct professors getting paid peanuts because they're not tenured because tenure well one tenure is uh also a parasite on education but i don't think it's the biggest parasite i i genuinely think that when you start running services like businesses you really start to forget the the, the mission and the purpose it would be like turning uh let's see what's a What's a great example of, let's turn social security into a for-profit enterprise. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. If we turn social security into a for-profit enterprise, what, what would, what would happen? They would, they would jack up the required age. They would make sure you, you know, if you don't hit your required minimum disbursements or distributions, they're just going to take everything away from you. You know, so you're you're forced by regulatory capture to pay into this thing from the day you start working until the day you stop working. And then they have the insane freaking logic to say to you, I to get to tell you how to spend your money. That's that's what what happens when when you have a service become a business. Because they're no longer concerned about the well-being of the customer, or in this case, for Social Security, the payer. They have no incentive to care for the payer. So they, well, they are there the to make a business. With, with social, well, we can go down a whole Social Security path, but back, back on the concept of education, I think you... I think you created a spark on that conversation because it's education as a service, but who's the service for? A lot of times now with, especially even in technological schools, whether, and, and I don't care what technological school it is, or, or what engineering program or what uh, computer program it is, there's always a sponsor to that school, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's Intel, I'm not sure what, what school Intel is associated with, but they start donating all of their hardware, software, and materials so that the colleges can then run classes to start training people that they can then hire. And it's great for the companies because you have pre-trained people without having to go through that, then they say, well, then, then you can walk away and say, well, I have a degree in, in whatever, whether it's electrical engineering, whether it's mechanical, but it's usually associated with something, with a product, with a, uh, whoever the sponsor is. And that's great for those, for those folks. But, but then you have to start asking yourself, who is, who are the colleges serving? Is it their donors or is it the students? And that's where the question starts, that that's where I start thinking about, you know, what is the life 
the life cycle of degree. It's a matter of looking at Moore's law. You're right. The minute that you print that book, it took you a year to print that book and get all of the information that you needed into the book. And the life cycle of that product that you just printed on is 18 months. So you have a six month life cycle and then all of a sudden it's out of date. You're reprinting or you're updating, you're changing, you're editing. And then all of a sudden it's like, how long before you print that before it becomes out of date again? And, and that's kind of a conundrum that we have in today's society, being such a throwaway society on all of the products that we consume. So what is the shelf life of any degree is really a matter of, is it valuable to get your first job? Once you get your first job, you better make sure that you have a way either to move up or move out or move into something new and use that degree as a launching point. At least that's what I'm reading and everything that I'm, that that's what I'm getting out of what I'm reading, seeing, and listening to. And I think this podcast kind of hit it right on the head for me because all of a sudden it's like, you know, if I took a six-month sabbatical after I get my degree and go on a world tour, is it going to be harder or easier to get a, to get a job to, uh, based on that degree? And that I'll, I'll ask you, Doomer, about that. Well, I mean, in my experience, and I mean, I when I graduated into one of the worst job markets in, in American history, uh, there's a lot of people willing to pay you, but there's not a lot of willing people willing to pay you what you're worth. Um, and I and I still see that even now, and I saw it before. There's just so many so many of these places, so many of these companies where they have a HR person that just adds five years to whatever the uh, whatever the hiring manager wants because they're like, oh, we're going to try and get really experienced people for cheap. And then you get into some really interesting cases where it's like this person needs 25 years of AWS experience. And it's like, fun fact, AWS came out in 2001. Yeah, so it's impossible to have the, the, the it's impossible to meet the requirement. Yeah, I mean, I guess unless you found one of the guys who who literally wrote the source code and is not working at Amazon, I guess then you could find you know have someone with twenty five years of experience. But I'm he sure as hell isn't going to work for you for forty grand. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so so what's the solution to the shelf life of a degree uh, of a bachelor's degree? Does it mean that you that you're automatically required to go on to a master's, or does it mean that you go on to a technical degree, or do you say throw the degree away and become a plumber? Well, because right now there's a major shortage of plumbers. Well, that goes back to you know our whole thing with Mike Rowe, or you know Mike Rowe's whole thing about the the, the denigration of trades and all that stuff. And honestly, I think for like computer science and a lot of these other things, um, maybe even some electrical engineering stuff. Well, electrical engineering, no, I still think the college setting would be perfect for it because you do need a little bit of liberal arts education, especially if you're a mechanical engineer. 
building bridges and learning how to work with architects and construction people. You need to, you know, just because you're like, well, the math works. It doesn't matter if the math works if no one believes in your vision, man. You're going to end up with a shitty bridge. So... <laughs> Well, I, to, to that point, I just I, I recently just worked just this week, I read a quote from uh, Charles Darwin. It's not the strongest or the smartest who survive. It's those that are willing to accept and, main, and, and, and look at change consistently. And that probably screwed up. The, it's not a quote. It's a that was, that was, yeah, that was definitely a paraphrasing. Um, but yeah. I I think honestly we need to maybe reevaluate what what a bachelor's degree is. Um, I would like for there to be more emphasis. Me personally, maybe I'm just you know selfish and I'm I can't read the job market for shit. Um, I you know I read I look at all the HR pot, uh, HR interview or HR and interview shit and it just amazes me to no end that the only five things that seem to be consistent is find someone who has a good attitude is willing to work and learn. And having a bachelor's degree is a great way to indicate that you're willing to learn. Having a bunch of certifications under your belt is a great way that you're willing to learn. Having continuing education credits is a great way that you show you're willing to learn, but it's only like the two most determining factors of success of an employee are not your, his, his or her fit or how much you like them. If they treat you like a complete knob, sure, maybe maybe they're not a good hire. But if they show up and they're like, hey, this is what I do. This is my education. This is my background. This is my certification. And I'm you know really excited to work here. And they ask you questions like, what is something you want in your company or what, what's one thing that you would like to have happen in your company or something like that? If they're asking good questions, give them a chance. Like, geez, the fact that they've already done the research on you or, and everything else, it's, they're, they're serious applicants. And it's not like America, it's hard to fire people. It's, this is not England where we have job contracts. You can... And it, you know, I can't say this too loud, but it's pretty easy to find a way to terminate someone with cause. True. <laughs> so, and and that's if you're really worried about your unemployment numbers in churn. And uh, don't worry, call centers, call centers have nailed setting the goals to be just this side of unachievable. But anyway. That's neither here nor well, there. Well, you know, what you also just said is interesting because if you don't have a resume that is addressing the, as I call them, the AI bots, the AI HR bots that say you have to have these words in your resume, otherwise you're going to get tossed, you know, you have to get past the bots first. So if I want to do job X, I have to have the words for job X before I can even get past there to be able to have the interview to be able to make that work. So does my degree fit that? Can I say those words that are going to get me past the AI bots to get me in the door? Once I'm in the door, I still have to have a personality. Again, coming down to, I could be the smartest person in the world and, and I'm going to look at, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to point to a big bang theory, Sheldon Cooper. Um, 
who the hell's going to hire him? Arrogant. Um, I know everything, and uh, and 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 you can't and and you know I, I can out talk and outperform anybody. So therefore, what we you know what do you want me for? He's out the door, even though he's probably a really good, smart fit for certain jobs. But you know he's one of those people you want to lock in a room and say solve these problems, but you have no right. We don't want you talking to anybody because you're going to uh, duff the project just with your attitude. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, and those you... people are really out there. Sheldon Cooper's are really work are really in the space, and and I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm just saying that they're not always self-aware when it comes to interaction and the ability to correctly interact with people. Well, that's true, but that's also because, you know, they, uh, I believe Sheldon's supposed to have some sort of spectrum disorder. So, you know. But extremely hyper-intelligent. For sure. And one of my, one of the like cruelest and almost awful things I said the other day, uh, cause we were talking about big bang theory. I'm like, you know, you're just as likely to see a Sheldon Cooper on the street with a heroin needle in his arm as you are to see him at like NIST. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Yeah, and everyone, everyone's, that's horrible. How could you say that? I'm like, would you would you really feel bad for this person who just pure arrogance and superiority complex? Would you, would you really feel sorry for them? And I was like, of course I would. You know, Sheldon, I'm like, no, I'm not saying Sheldon. I'm saying someone that you don't know who approached you and it, it treated you exactly like Sheldon treats people he's never met before. Oh no! He's like, ah, yeah, yeah. See, this compassion yeah, I mean, and empathy only go so far. Eventually, you just kind of like, well, if I just let everyone like that into my life, they'll walk all over you, man. But, exactly. But yeah. Well, that was that was really off topic, but uh, <laughs> but maybe well, on that, it, it still goes right along. You know, relative to the, the the shelf life of a degree, you also have to have a personality. You have to. Coming from someone who really did not write well for a lot of years, namely me, is you need to be able to still be able to communicate. You have to be able to tell a story. You have to be able to sell a project. At some point in time, even if it's just to get a job, we are all salespeople. And even if it's just to sell your, you know, what you can do for someone, you know, you're, you're really selling the concepts of what you have to offer a company or offer a client. It's still a matter of being able to sell. It's a matter of being able to communicate your capabilities and how you're going to benefit another organization. Yeah. That's not always easy to teach. Well, as uh, my one of my mentors before before I, I had this job, I was uh, I was in in uh, direct sales, and uh, she taught me one thing that I thought was absolutely hilarious. Uh, she was one of those people who, um, you know, the ones that you you probably have someone like that in your life who uh, who will tell you exactly what you did wrong, not out of malice. But because either through a, a level of indifference or maybe they genuinely care about you, but they're also just sometimes an insufferable ass. Uh, 
they will tell you what's wrong. <laughs> and she's in her, her exact words to me were, you need to shut up and listen and do nothing else. Smile, nod, and take note of what they're saying and don't say anything else until they've finished speaking. Because I was a little bit of a, well, I know I, I probably still am. I'm a little bit of a, of a arrogant douche tard sometimes. And um, I was going to say that, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, that's, that's highly, you know, that's what happens. It's a, I, I care deeply about things and uh, I get sometimes a little too intense because I care about the little things a little too much and uh, about the people I'm speaking to not enough. And it's a weakness and, uh, you know, you need to work on it. Sometimes it leaks through, but uh, I, I'll say after that, it was um, it took me a little bit. It sunk in real quick, and like I had an immediate performance thing or improvement in in sales, and then all of a sudden I was just like, I think this applies to everything. And you know, next week when we, or next couple times here, when we talk about a couple of the other books we've read, it ties very much into uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. If there's anything you take away from this, uh, from this podcast, it's going to be shut up and listen. <laughs> At least, and, I and, and yeah, I guess if there's one thing that I, you know, relative to this whole concept of degree shelf life, it's not about what you learn. It's not about, put it this way, it's not, not, not about what you learn, but it's more about taking what you've learned and being able to not only apply it, but to communicate the need to apply that going forward. A thousand percent. And Does the that, thing is, did, did that make did that make sense at all? No, that that a thousand percent correct. I think is, um, although there are some times when uh, someone asks you, "What does psychology have to do with marketing?" And everything. And at that point, if they ask you that question, you should probably not work there if you are someone with a psychology degree, and they ask you, "What does psychology have to do with marketing?" Ideally, it's a Columbo thing, and they're playing dumb to have you sit there and be like, well, you know, everything. Uh, cognition, uh, certain recency and uh, heuristic biases, all of these things are, are – marketing is nothing more than applying psychology to essentially sell a product. Um, I wouldn't call it selling a product. Selling a solution. But I would say selling the idea so that they would want to purchase a product or service. I, I think we're talking past each other. <laughs> because you're selling a solution by selling a product or a service. But anyway. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Hold on a second. If, if you're going to talk about marketing... I kind of look at marketing as being the one to sell the idea to, an, to a larger audience. Think about a car ad. If I see a car ad on television, um, 
I'm looking at an SUV going through the woods on a unpaved road. It tells me that I can go, I can take that vehicle and I can confidently drive anywhere I want to and get to the cabin in the woods whenever I want to, regardless of weather. That, that's just, you know, an image that you're selling that image. That's what the marketing is. It's, it's attaching that emotional value. The sale is still the person that actually has the one-on-one -on -one with the person that says, this is, I think this is the car I want. And then they have to close the deal. So it's the difference between selling the idea and then selling the final product. Sales is that, that close of the deal and selling the final product versus marketing. And I think they're two different disciplines. I don't actually agree with that at all. You don't? Uh, okay. No, marketing and sales are, uh, are essentially like DNA. They are intertwined. Marketing, yes, to an, to an extent, is there to enable sales. Sales, people need to come into the dealer, or people need to come into the dealership. People need to go and need to want to desire and buy these cars. And sales is there to enable that. Marketing's job is to go out there and communicate to you a solution. Now, what you talked about with that SUV, it brings to yeah, mind. I'm listening. What it it brings to mind, what ruggedness, individualism, you know the 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 free adventure, the freedom to go when you where you want when you want, safety because you know that thing can handle going off road. It's communicating these ideas to you. Or and in the case of Land Rover, you know you also have the luxury image, the brand, the fact that this thing costs so much to maintain this white elephant that you're able to take care of that shows success and wealth all of these things are what marketing does but how marketing communicates all those things and, and gets you in the door is by exploiting your thought process the but, but i still say if you want to be a marketing person, and if, if somebody, my, my point is, is, if somebody ever calls themselves a, a vice president of sales and marketing, I think that's a unicorn. Because marketing is completely different from sales. And you're disagreeing with me completely. Well, this is, again, this is another rabbit hole that we can explore another day. All right. On the show notes, it goes. But... This gets back to, you know, degrees, how you do things, and shelf life. My point with the degree and the shelf life is the fact that you have to be willing to change and pivot as the market changes along the way. If you start out in a marketing position and then you move into sales, you have to be able to pivot to that position. If you're in a engineering very technical degree you're going to very quickly price yourself out of the market because the only way you can move up in an engineering position is to move into a management role project management role technical management role where you're then managing other people to deliver the technology at which point in time you're going to be 
changing or pivoting away from being the techno expert, the geek guy who, or the geek person that does all the work. And you're going to have to turn into a manager. And I've seen recently that, you know, that's the one thing. I mean, I have, you know, where, where my degree is and, and where I'm at right now are not even close. I outgrew my degree pretty quickly after I got it. But I've stayed in the same field, but I've, but I've pivoted to different roles within that field as a function of it. But the, the only thing that the degree was is a door opener for that field for me. Oh, a thousand percent. I don't know percent. if you feel the same way relative to marketing. Uh, well, yes and no. So going back to the degree, the degree is nothing more than a, it is a certification system. It was back in the day, the best way, and I'm doing the, uh, the finger air quotes for everyone who can't see me, uh, which namely, is everyone, which is everyone. I, I am actually invisible, but, um, what I'm trying to get at is it's a certification system. And the problem is, is because it's a certification system, uh, we we're running into a problem where higher ed is realizing that certification does not bring in as much money as they would hope. Uh, yeah, I think it's a thousand percent. You can outgrow like your degree in a sense of the knowledge obtained there. Eventually, you might move out of electrical engineering and become a manager. However, I know a lot of guys that are, yes, and they're all dudes, uh, in electrical engineering that don't want to be managers. They like where they're at. They like just being an engineer. They hate the idea of management because it's a skill set they don't have, and there's no outsized reward for them because they are goal-oriented individuals. They need to make the process better. That's fine. They can do that. You give them, you give them a problem that needs to be solved and put something in front of an engineer, they'll figure it out. You tell them that they need to guide the company to success with a vague target, well, they're, they're not going to do well. And, and it's a lot of stress for people who are used to concrete goals that are, you know, measured, measured and achievable. And then telling them you need to suddenly learn soft skills. It's, it's, it's unfair. Uh, and a lot of companies don't even want to uh, spend the money to do that. I mean, the better ones do the mediocre ones try to, and the worst ones don't. And they just make do with the fact that they're cheap. Well, and I'm not saying you have to get out of the technical role and move into management, but you do have to pivot to new technology, at least periodically. Oh, for sure. Otherwise you're going to get stuck. And I, and I've known now I've known people that were in engineering that said, I just want to work on the same stuff that I've worked on because it's, let's say it's a technology that hasn't advanced quite as rapidly as uh uh, computers have advanced. However, there are things that have changed. And if these people aren't willing to pivot to the change, they're going to, for lack of a better term, age out of the market because they're managing a dead product. Yeah, well, they're not willing to learn 
and that's that's like goes back to what is what makes a good employee is willingness to learn is what number one i think on the hbr article is yeah so you're talking about people who i get it because it's a comfort zone thing like i don't want to expand into this well it's like well well bud that's the way the market's going you're gonna have to or you're gonna either stagnate and get fired or you're not going to stagnate, you're not going to get fired, and you're going to and spend your day doing increasingly bullshit assignments to justify your value. And then you're just going to sit there and be frustrated because you're no longer relevant. And then you'll try to get into management so that they don't fire you. But <laughs> the psychology of, of the procrastinator aside... And, and, and you're right, you know, it's a matter of, you know, comfort and what you can do versus what you should be doing. Exactly. And, and uh, I, I mean, we talked about pivot a couple times. I don't know if we've ever talked about it here on the podcast, but, uh, you know, Scott Galloway put a uh, professor Scott Galloway put it really well is like, there's a lot of a lot of uh, professors with tenure who, um, because they aren't doing either, they're not doing research, or they're not reading other research, they're basically getting paid to be or have leisure time uh they're they're becoming increasingly irrelevant and because they become increasingly irrelevant they essentially become a a blocker to any up-and-comer because they are threatened by that person's existence true and, and that's what i call ssdd what's that same shit, different day oh I'm I'm highly familiar with that, but yeah, that's that's the the biggest issue I see with degrees is uh, there's there's this problem where they cost too much right now because they have become a luxury product, uh, and they're selling you a lifestyle experience, not not a certification process. We've been taking money out of or out of higher education for a long time, and and this is and then all of a sudden because we've taken money out of education for a long time, everyone's like, oh wow, why is it performing so poorly? Well, I'll give you three guesses, and two of the options are money. And, Interesting. And then once you have that, of course, let's switch it over to a business thing, and and of course that again, going back to my earlier point. We've created this problem where we have short-sighted thinking that creates a luxury product that is not affordable, and you have middle-class families paying, you know, the median household income in tuition every year. Not the average, but the median, which is about $20,000 higher. So... This kind of brings me around to a conclusion statement. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I, we're, we're way over time, but at the same time, I think it's been a really good conversation too. Um, we're always an hour and a half. We always say an hour. We just never get there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I just heard you say is, number one, there is a shelf life to uh, degrees. Number two, the degree itself isn't a cert when the colleges sell it to the younger generation, they're selling a lifestyle experience. Come to my college, join a frat, you know, have a great time and get a degree. 
Yeah, look at our campus. It's so beautiful. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, number three, do you really need a degree today? Because we have a serious shortage of uh, every trade that's out there just about. Uh, I know that within manufacturing, there are hundreds of thousands of job openings across the country that we can't fill without importing that knowledge from, from elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but the question becomes, and this is something that we like what we talked about with Intel very quickly. Um, they're investing in having good employees. Why aren't these mega mega agribusinesses that do you know that are in manufacturing or these other mega manufacturing businesses why aren't they investing why aren't they going to colleges and being like hey do you, you know i do know some companies that are doing that i do know some companies that are saying if you if you offer these classes you put kids through it i will hire them at here's the rate Sure. And so that's I do a good, know some people that are doing that. I do yeah. know some companies that are doing that. And that's a good public-private partnership. And that's something that we should maybe look forward to a little bit more is I hear a lot of people complaining, oh, the workforce isn't ready for today's labor. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was only the college's option to not only train you for, for a job, but also teach you critical thinking skills and research skills. Oh man, so if college is going to be doing all these things and the middle class is going to pay for it all, you know, I really hope that, you know, labor when it comes out of college is paid at like $42 an hour because that's about as much as it's going to cost you. And all of a sudden everyone's going to shut up because everyone wants something for free. You know, you're, the companies you're talking about, yeah, they understand what investing in the future means. But there's a lot of companies out there that don't want that. They don't like it, or, or as uh, I like to say, they want they want the uh, they want the milk, but they don't want to pay for the cow. So there, so, so what I'm hearing as a conclusionary statement here is, is there's going to be a big over the next what do you think five to ten years? There's going to be a big pivot in education. There's going to be a big pivot in the way we, in, in the way students approach college. And there's going to be, and then as a boomer, I hate to say this, I'm counting on everyone that's significantly younger than me to eventually take care of me. I just hope to God that we have, you know, they have the knowledge and the drive to be able to say, you know, he was, you know, these, these guys are okay. I do want to take care of them. That's, you know, if you want to have a, you know, really when we think about the conversations across generations, what am I concerned about? I'm concerned about things like that. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to, so part three with, yeah, I think there's going to be a major pivot, but I always believe in the value of education, no matter what, uh, teaching people how to think critically, how to read data, how to use statistics. Everyone's, uh, I'm not paying attention to that. I don't know it, everything else. And that's why we have people who believe with, you know, in healing crystals and Gwyneth Paltrow's fucking vagina candles. <clears throat> like, 
This is <laughs> this is why scientific is important. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's I. You have to laugh because the only alternative is to cry. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I I wanted to get in a, a, a few things because that the degree I think is always going to be valuable, but the idea of the Mick degree. Well, I think how you use it, I think having a sense of reality is, is really the biggest, most important thing when you're, when, when you're looking at the degree, I think you also have to have an understanding that life isn't going to give you a stagnant point of view to be able to go forward forever with one with one point of view you have to be able to expand your own point of view as well as be able to um move forward through time with it because i don't think anything is truly linear no uh, life is a winding path and it has many roads that you can take to uh to borrow it from a from a paul mccartney sure i the great philosopher paul mccartney <laughs> Or was that John Lennon, or was that George Harrison? A long and winding road. Ah, the, yes, the, the the wise philosophers known as the Beatles. But <laughs> all that aside, I think I've had enough bitching about at academia and and uh, and and industry so, not investing in. in its a, as a closer, as a closer here, as a closing comment before we go on to bartender. What is your conclusion on, on where this all needs to go? Well, uh, I think it just goes back to revisiting what education is now and kind of returning it back to something that uh, you grew up with. Smaller class sizes, more focused teaching, um, less of this teaching you social justice stuff and teaching you more... Yeah, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a ton of hate mail for that because social justice matters. It does a thousand percent. It does without a doubt. I mean, and, and there's a lot of things that we have to learn with social justice as well as how to legally handle handle that. Yeah, but I mean, would you rather learn about social justice and then not have the tools to put it into action, or would you rather give it be given the tools and then find social justice and and use your tools of you know statistical analysis of of logical argument of, you know, the Socratic method. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to take this to a different, a, a different path. And in my closing statement, I think it comes right back to each person and each person's self having a sense of self ownership. It's a matter of we each represent more than just ourselves every single day. We represent who our family is. It's about, I'm going to, I'm going down another book here, Jocko Willink's Extreme Ownership. We have to not only represent who we are, we also have to represent the entire embodiment of who we are, our companies, our families, our state of mind, our personality, and, and, and everything else around us that makes all that up. And, and as a function of that, we have to be able to move forward with all of it. So we have to take that ownership and be able to and be able to present that ownership every single day to whomever and wherever we are. 
rugged individualism. I, I guess if, if you want to call it that, that, that sounds like a title of a good book. Maybe not written yet, but I like it. Rugged individualism. It's, uh, it's the concept, you know, the whole idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff like that. Things that uh, perhaps, yes, taking ownership over things in your life is, is important. However, we also know that there are systemic problems that no matter how much ownership you take over your own life, if you're never given a chance to go up, you don't that's, go up. That's, that's valid. Absolutely <laughs> valid. But also knowing, and, and with the systemic issues, also knowing when to walk away. We could continue on this conversation. Uh, but, but anyway, those are the yes. two conclusions that, that we have so far. Yep. I, I think this conversation will eventually come back around again. But uh, that's where we're at today. Yeah, we're, I mean, it's two, two, we have two, two uh, um, sometimes conflicting, sometimes copacetic worldviews. That's, and, and that's and what happens. And with that, we can go, you know, how has our education driven us to uh, the bartender of the week? Ah, there we go. Well, would you like to take off on bartender of the week? Well... I'm just kind of moody, so I figured I'm going to have breakfast for dinner. So I'm I'm doing the uh, a classic margarita, uh, not a classic margarita, a classic um, uh, Bloody Mary, and uh, with the sprig of uh, celery in my drink. How very, um, Oh, I had something for this. What, Weight Watchers of you? I think that was Oh, good. it is. Yeah, totally Weight Watchers. I mean, <laughs> it, I, you know, that this kind of gets right back to what you were saying earlier. You're making sure that we don't have too much intake of calories through what we're drinking. 100%. I'm trying to watch my, my, my wonderful figure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to leave that joke alone because I could be really cruel right now. Oh, yeah, you could. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so let's see. What do I got? Uh, I'm definitely I, not the uh, six-pack, eight-pack kind of guy. Oh, man. I would love to be a six- or eight-pack kind of guy, but I'm always so bloated afterwards. <laughs> not that kind of six-pack. Uh, 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 but I'm Ching. So what are you drinking? Oh, uh, yes. Um, so I made a virgin mule. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of you know, blood of Mary, and uh, no. Uh, so what I had was a some cute ginger beer, pour it over a little bit of club soda, and then top it all off with a bit of simple syrup and a uh, quarter quarter of a lime sque uh, squeezed into it, and then you know you peel out the flesh and give it a little twist, get those little. Um, Natural oils and and scents flowing, rum, you know, rubbed it, rubbed it around the rim of my glass, and uh, then tossed it in. I, I like that, because by the way, with mine, I had to add a little extra hot sauce, and then on top of the hot sauce, I did the same thing you did with the lime, and I threw some lime on top of my uh, Bloody Mary. Ooh, that's like a fiesta lime. Did you? It's, get... it's like I've got like a fiesta in my glass, you know, oh, the man. lime, the the hot. The, the hot sauce, the, the celery, Kosher you know, salt. it's uh, tomato juice, vodka, 
You have kosher salt. Kosher salt. Wow. I did. I actually did use kosher salt. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of my, I had chicken last night, so I made it with sriracha, kosher salt, and lime juice. Oh, so good. But anyway, man, I can't wait till October's over and I can, I can enjoy a, a Bloody Mary with actual vodka in it again. But, but that said, I think it's time to call Boomer and Doomer a wrap today. I think we're wrapped. So, everyone, but I think we have more to talk about now. We have we have a couple of other new topics. Dude, yeah, I mean, it's two dudes, two dudes with ADHD talk about stuff, right? That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, let's not get into our personal problems now. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh gosh. Might, we might ruin the image of being the all-knowing sages that we are. Um, anyway. Now you're making me laugh. <laughs> so, this has been... Well, Boomer. actually... Yeah, this has been... That was, that was Boomer. This is Doomer signing off. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. See ya.